Welcome to our very first special episode of Afro History Scapes podcast, where we give you a different perspective on African history. We tell the story of African histories through objects at the Horniman Museum and Gardens in South London. These objects bring to life fascinating stories from the past. Together with the objects and histories, we open a different window into African worlds. We will show how these objects continue to be used on the continent and in the diaspora in various ways. The narratives we share are based on research carried out by the Horniman's curators and community researchers. Each month we focus on a different theme, but we think another way to explore the history of Africa is through the idiom of movement. Africa is a dynamic continent that has always been on the move. If you're interested in African history, material culture and museum collections, then this is the podcast for you. We're your hosts, JC Niala and Tom Fearon. In this special episode, we are joined by one of our community researchers, Sherry Davis, who has been exploring the erasure of Black African contributions to archaeology. Her grandfather was one of the first Africans to excavate ancient monuments along the East African coast, and her project focuses on highlighting the unseen and unsung African archaeologists who are absent from history. Welcome, Sherry. Thank you, Tom. For this episode, I interviewed Jimbi Katana, who became an archaeologist after his father was killed at Gede Ruins in 1978. In those tragic circumstances, Jimbi was offered his father's position at National Museums of Kenya and rose up the ranks to become the head of coastal sites. He retired from National Museums of Kenya in 2015, but continues to work as a heritage consultant, which includes spearheading a campaign to repatriate stolen spiritual artifacts called the Vigango and return them back to their rightful home with the Michikenda community who live on the coast of Kenya. This is Afro Historyscapes. Always something new, always has been, always on the move. Uncle Jimby, thank you so much for joining me today. It's it's such an honour to speak with you. So tell us about your journey into archaeology and conservation as a career. What inspired you to follow this path? Okay, well, um, I I started uh, my my interest, basically, the way I joined the museum is actually when my dad was passed on in 1978 when he was beaten by a snake uh, at work at the National Monument. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the time when uh, the museum thought that uh, one of his son can be given an opportunity to work for the National Museums of Kenya. And that is the time when uh, uh, we had Dr. Thomas Henry Wilson was the coast archaeologist based in Lamu. So I was moved, uh, I was I was sent to Lamu to work with Dr. Thomas Andrew Wilson, who was doing some archaeological excavations in Takwa, that is in Lamu. And that is when I started uh, my field surveys with him uh, in 1978. Uh, and then I think he left around 1982 uh, back to the U.S., um, that is how I joined the national. I got myself interested into archaeology. Um, 
And then uh, in, 19, in 1983, uh, I was nominated by the director. The director at that time was Dr. Richard Leakey. And I went to ICROM in Italy to study heritage, uh, uh, conservation of built heritage. Um, and there is a time when I, uh, I came back and I, I, I was involved in archaeology and conservation because most of the Swahili settlements along the Kenyan coast are built heritage, basically. So it is both conservation and archaeological work which goes hand in hand. So that is a time now um, I started working with Dr. George Obungu, who was actually uh, head of coastal archaeology at that time. So we worked together doing surveys along the Kenyan coast in both in archaeology and conservation of these uh, uh, historical sites along the Kenyan coast. So that is how I got myself involved into archaeology and, and, and conservation. But then later on, I went to, to, to the University of Birmingham. Uh, that is in Britain. Uh, it was, uh, there was an institute in, in, uh, in Cobalt Brookdale, uh, which is called IMBG Institute, where I started uh, heritage conservation and management for, for one year. And then uh, I got myself very much involved now in conservation issues of the built heritage on the Kenyan coast. That's wonderful. You've had such a long and, and illustrious career. Um, so what is it about yeah. the coast of Kenya that makes it so special? Um, the coast of Kenya is very special because of its, uh, the, the different layers of history. Uh, the coast has been in contact with the outside world for a long time. Uh, right from the, I mean, the tangible information that we have is actually when the, this city, this, uh, this, these settlements were established and they go back to about the seventh century. So this coast, Kenyan coast has been in contact with the outside world for a very, very long time. I think uh, during the time of the set, first or second millennium. So there's that record, and because of these layers of history, people coming in, uh, trading with their, with their, with their hinterland, because the coastal region was almost um, acting as a midway between the outside world and the hinterland. So it, it became known right from the time of the time, and there were all these establishments of the Israeli city-states, which were independent from one another, and we had more than 200 city-states along the Kenyan coast. So the layers of history along the Kenyan coast make it very significant. Um, because of its relationship with the outside world and also with the hinterland as well. Oh, that's amazing to find out that there were so many city-states at the time, over 200. Yeah, there are more than 200 city-states. Most of them have been abandoned, actually. Mm. Uh, only a few, of them. I think they're the only five that are remaining. That is in Pate, Lamu, Desuitu, Malindi and Mombasa. Those are the ones which have continuous occupation from the early period all the way to the present. But all the others were actually abandoned, like the one at Gedi, for example, which was abandoned around the 17th century. And most of them were abandoned around that time. Right. And so your father worked at yeah. Gede Ruins, and that is the first ancient monument to be excavated in East Africa. What legacy did your dad leave for you? And what legacy do you wish to leave for future generations? Well, um, I think because my father was uh, uh, was an attendant at Gary Ruins and he was used to work with uh, James, James Cartman doing his uh, archaeological excavations at Gary, I think the legacy that my father left behind was actually his hard work, which actually made me get my uh, get my way to the National Museums of Kenya because my father's my dad uh, died during the, when he was working at Gary when he was beaten by a snake. And the reason why perhaps I was given the opportunity to work for the museum was because of the hard work that my father uh, uh, did with the National Museum of Kenya at that time. It's so heartwarming to learn that your dad's work was expanded through you and all the amazing things that you've done over the years. I'm sure he'd be really proud of you 
Yeah, past uh, he could have done more if at all he, because he, he died when he was still um, was about maybe forties around the he was at around forties you know that is the time when he passed on forty or fifty years old so he, perhaps he could have done more because he worked in Gedi Rings and then he was moved to Fort Jesus and was brought back again to Gedi um, and that is when now he got beaten by a spell. So what legacy do you do you wish to leave for future generations? Um, actually, there's so much that we have done, and there's still so many things that I'm working on at the moment, still with the National Museum of Kenya. Uh, and also, uh, my firstborn, who is an architect, was also given by opportunity by the museum to work in Lamu, uh, because Lamu is a world heritage site, and the conservation program that, it has, that they have been working on, and now it's actually based in Lamu. So mm-hmm. it seems as if there's continuity of my family being working in the National Museum of Kenya, because I've now retired. My son is with the museum. Now he's actually, he has been seconded to the county government of Lamu. Uh, he's a chief officer there dealing with planning and, uh, and uh, infrastructure development. So we are still actually there. I mean, the family, my father's family is still with the museum and we're dealing with conservation issues. That's so brilliant to hear. That's three generations that have worked with National Museums of Kenya. Yeah, my father, me, myself, and now my son. Brilliant. So you're passing it on to your, your children. That's wonderful. So there's that kind of continuity. So what are the highlights of your career and why do they hold particular significance for you? Well, some of the highlights that I can mention is actually surveys that we carried out with Dr. Thomas Wilson along the Kenyan coasts that uh, actually gave me the knowledge of knowing what we have along the Kenyan coast, their conditions, the significance of these uh, this, uh, Swahili settlements and also other other heritage sites along the Kenyan coast, and also with Professor Doja Bungu, whereby we, we we did a lot of work along the Kenyan coast as well, which is now it's a, people are referring to some of those works that we did. And the other highlight is actually uh, when I was involved in planning Lamu for purposes of gazetting Lamu Old Town as a conservation area, and eventually its nomination to UNESCO World Heritage. I was very much involved in the planning of Lamu, and that is something that uh, they are referring to that to the work that we did. The other one is the, the preparation of a nomination dossier for, for Jesus to be you to to be listed as a UNESCO World Heritage Site as well. Um, and I've done a lot of uh, restoration works in Malindi and opened up Malindi Museum. I also did a lot of work in Rabai, whereby I developed a narrative for the exhibition in Rabai. Uh, uh, we also did a lot of uh, restoration work in Shimoni, an old colonial building, the first colonial office in Kenya, which was actually abandoned. It, it was in a ruin. We restored it back to its original form, and now we have got uh, a slavery museum in that, in that building in Shimoni. So I was involved in a number of restoration activities along the Kenyan coast. Wonderful. I've been to that building in Shimoni. I think you sent me there when I came okay. to Kenya. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you went to Shimoni yeah, when I left you in for Jesus, yes. Yes, and that was... So is... that building was actually in a ruin. Okay, and you helped to restore it. Yeah, I, I was. I did the restoration works and also developing the narrative for the exhibition in Shimoni. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. Um, so let's talk about the Vigango memorial statues because I know that you've been massively involved in spearheading the yeah, return of those statues to the Mijikenda community in Kenya. Yeah, with the Vigangos, I mean, I was. I got myself involved when I was actually the head of coastal sites and monuments. And because of that position, uh, and knowing that uh, Monica Davi and Nita Bills 
uh, plus uh, John Mitsanze, who did some work in the Vigangos, had documented two Vigangos in, uh, in Kaloleni area, um, which eventually they were actually stolen. So fortunately, Monica and Linda participated in a, in a workshop in, in the US, and one of the presenters presented slides of Vigangos, which was similar to what they had documented in Kaloleni. So they communicated with me because we knew one another uh, that uh, I need to go to the Karoleni, at a village called the Chalani, to find out whether those Vigango that are documented were still there or the ones that they have, they have, they have seen in the US. So going there, uh, where I realized I found that these Vigangos had been stolen. So we communicated with Monica and Linda about it. And then they wanted us, me to write to them, to, to these universities that. Uh, that is Illinois State Museum, Illinois State Museum and Hampton, for them to be able to repatriate these Vigangos back to Kenya. So eventually, uh, Illinois responded positively, and uh, they wanted to ship those uh, those Vigangos, the ones they had in uh, Illinois, back to Kenya. But then our minister then, at that time, who was uh, Suleiman Shakombo, said that we had to go to the U.S. so that we can get these Vigangos ourselves and bring them back to Kenya so that we can be able to campaign for more Vigangos to be returned. And that is why now we went to the U.S. with, uh, with uh, Suleiman Shakombo, who was our minister, uh, Dr. Idel Farah, who was a director general at that time, and Dr. Mzanir Guguja, who is currently the director of the National Museum of Kenya. So we went to the U.S. in, in uh, Illinois, and we were given uh, the Vigango, which we brought back to Kenya. And eventually, Hampton also realized that threat is significant because of the sensitivity of these uh, spiritual artifacts. They also eventually sent the Kigango back to Kenya. So we took them back to the family at Chalani, whereby we, we, we had them more to the family, and they were erected again um, in, a, in, in, a, in a structure that uh, provided security for these Vigangos. So that is how I will put myself involved into this Vigango issue. And um, actually now we're getting more Vigangos coming back to Kenya uh, because people have realized that these Vigangos are very significant to the Michigan community and uh, they're not just an ordinary uh, artifacts, they're very sensitive spiritual artifacts. And uh, currently we're getting more Vigangos being brought back to Kenya. Uh, last year, or last year but one, uh, we got 29 Vigangos from... Uh, from uh, then one museum of natural history, and and, and they are really doing to follow us also to get other museums in the U.S. to get the Vigangos back to Kenya. So that is how I got myself involved into this Vigango issue. Mm, that's so brilliant, and you have helped to return over a hundred Vigango statues. We have a, we have twenty nine Vigangos in Fort Jesus, which are in our conservation laboratory. They are waiting to be brought to Kilifi County, where they are, whereby they, these communities who on these Vigangos are coming from. So I'm sure soon these Vigangos will go back to Belifi and they handle all these communities. That's brilliant. So what's what's the Mijikenda community's response to receiving the statues? I think they're very much they're very much happy to get them these Vigangos back because when we we were receiving them in Fort Jesus Museum, we we also went with the elders from uh, the Kauma community and also from the Iriyama community to receive these Vigangos. And in fact, they're looking forward to receive them and find an, an, uh, a center whereby they can actually be put there for their final uh, 
finally to find an, a, a common area for all of the Vigango that have been repatriated back to Kenya. And we are thinking perhaps maybe Kilishi would be the best place to have them because it is very central. All the communities are actually living around Kilishi, so having a, a place in Kilishi to have them would be a wonderful idea. And I think everybody is working towards that objective. That's wonderful that you've been a part of something that's so important to the Mijikinda community. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see what happens in the future and how, how many more you're able to get back because it, it seems as if um, the response has come mostly from the US. Yeah, the US is responding very positively. And also, uh, I think Europe is also following up some of these issues because recently we had some discussions with the uh, 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 one of the journalists in Germany, and I think there is something that uh, people are taking it up. And there's so much which is actually outside uh, Kenya, outside Africa, which is actually in Europe and in the US. And I think uh, some of these artifacts, which are very sensitive, um, will pass with eventually people will eventually accession them and bring them back to Kenya or to Africa as well. The repatriation has been such a hot topic of discussion um, within the diaspora community. And there have been a lot of barriers um, when it comes to being able to repatriate these items back from institutions. So for you, what were the barriers to the Vigango being repatriated and how did you navigate them? Well, I think, um, well, it is, it is a whole process, actually, because you need to identify uh, where, this, uh, where, where, where they are. But also one of the challenges that we are facing with the Vigangos is that we do not know exactly where they come from. We know that they are coming from the Mijikenda, from the Giriyama and the Kaoma community. Those, most of those, those that have been stolen are coming from Giriyama and the Kaoma of the nine Mijikenda communities. But the two communities are the ones who have these Vigangos. But then the problem is that we do not know exactly which family they come from because they don't have any markers. That is one of the biggest challenges. And that is the reason why we have to look for a central place and have all the repatriated Vigangos there closer to, the, to, to these communities. So that they, those those uh, elders can be able to visit some of, of these vigangos because these are embodiments of uh, of uh, uh, elders who are uh, who are actually in the Boho society. So the members of the Boho can actually be able to assist in the curation of these uh, sensitive spiritual artifacts. Wonderful. I think to offer some context, could you explain what the vigango memorial statues are, and also who the Mijikenda community are? Akigango is the, a wooden memorial statue um, that was commissioned to embody an essential spirit of a Michigan elder who was initiated into, a, into the Boho Society. Boho Society is actually a secret society, and when you are initiated into this society, you can be, become uh, you are consulted on matters of or spiritual matters, issues of if there's any adversities, for example, affecting a certain family, then these are the people who are consulted. They, they can speak on they can speak with the spirits on on behalf of of the people, so that if there are any problems any adversities then they can be able to be taken care of. So these are actually the traditional priests, so to speak. So when you initiate to that society, when you die, then they erect a gango for you. So a gango is erected for somebody who has been initiated into this society to become a, a traditional priest. And also, could you let our listeners know who are the Mijikenda community? Mijikenda communities are nine tribes. That is, we have the Iriyama, we have the Digo, we have the Luma, 
we are with the Rabai, we are with Driben, Jibana, uh, we are with the Kauma, and the Chonis. So there are nine tribes, but they speak more or less, uh, uh, they can understand one another. They have a common history and language. They all origin, they, we, 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 they all came from Shingwaya. Shingwaya, where's that? Shingwaya is actually in southern Somalia, uh, close to Bagao in southern Somalia, along the, along the, along the, the coast. Mm -hmm. So during the 16th century, <laughs> during the 16th century, then there was a, there was rivalry between the, the Mijikendas and the Galas. So these Mijikendas were driven south. And that is when now they came and settled along uh, uh, behind the coastal strip of Kenya. Mm -hmm. But they brought up common history and common, uh, uh, I mean, the language is more or less the same because they speak more or less the same language with very few differences, but they're more or less the same in terms of culture and traditions. Yes, yeah, so thank you so much for your time today, Uncle Jimbi. Um, I've got one more question for you. There's uh -huh. been... There's been a lot of talk about the erasure of Africans from their own African history. What do you think can be done to reclaim our stories and how best can we honour the ancestors that paved the way for us? I think um, the only thing that we need to be doing is to do a lot of research mm. so that we can be able to unearth all these uh, people who contributed so much in history and try to be able to honour them because if we do not do research then we do not know these people. But I mean, if you do a lot of research, then these people, then our, then we can be able to write our own, our own history. And I think today we have so many researchers, African researchers. We have people like Professor George Abungu, who is doing a lot of research. But Usimba, who is actually now doing a lot of archaeological work at Gary again. So these are locals who are very much uh, into, into research. And uh, that is when now we get to know who actually contributed into, into um, what we know today. And uh, their names can be brought out, like what we did in Rabai. We did some research on uh, Rabai as the cradle for Christianity, and there's a lot of information that we gathered from 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 that research. Apart from the the, the missionaries who came from Europe, but a lot of local people who who contributed so much in the spread of Christianity in East in Kenya and in East Africa as a whole. So I think the only thing we can do is start to research and to get to know who these people are and try to honor them. And, and it's great also how, you know, you've got experts that are academics and have have these positions in archaeology and conservation and history. But you also worked hand in hand with local people who have helped you with that research and you've worked together um, to bring these stories to life, which is, yeah, it's so brilliant. So although you're retired, you're really, really active, aren't you? Yeah, I'm retired, but at the same time, I'm also doing a lot of work. I mean, uh, we we are there's, there's, there's another program which is coming up. We're supposed to work on our nomination dossier for Gedi National Monument to be listed on the UNESCO World Heritage. So I'm doing some consultancy in that particular aspect as well. So there are area, areas that I'm, I'm, I can I give my contribution. I normally go and do some work. I also do some work with Professor George Abungu, who is uh, who has got a consulting firm, and we do a lot of work together in Zanzibar. Uh, we have done a lot of work in Zanzibar together with Professor Bungu uh, and also uh, in Mamadina Drive in Mombasa, whereby where we, uh, it, was, it was being uh, upgraded to this now a very beautiful park. But then we had uh, bankers there, which belonged to the First and Second World War. So we were supposed to do some restoration works. We were supposed to do some interpretation of that uh, bankers. 
so there's so much that I can look that uh, I'm working on at the moment. Yes, that's great. That's great that you're continuing on, and you've had such a long career spanning from 1978 up to now, which is wonderful. Yeah, and 1970. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story and your journey. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, truly, it's it's an honor to speak with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much too. I mean, I appreciate. That's cool. And I look forward to continuing to follow your journey. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully come back to Kenya and, and see you again. That's all. That would be wonderful. Yes. That would be wonderful indeed. Yes. Yeah. We'll make it happen. Hopefully in the next year or two. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much for the interview. Thank you so much for your time today, Uncle Jimby. You are a shining example of what it means to build on the foundation that our ancestors worked hard to lay down for us even in circumstances of unimaginable adversity. I wonder now who might be listening to this podcast or hearing about your work that might feel a spark of inspiration to dig into their own history. Thank you, Sherry. That was a fascinating interview. What a privilege to hear directly from Jimby Katana a Kenyan heritage professional who has been working intimately with these important issues for a lifetime. What's the key message that you would like to leave with our listeners? I have so much respect for Uncle Jimby's relentless work. It leads me to realise that we make history as we find history, whether we're academics or professionals or artists or teachers or community members with an interest in our heritage. Each one of us has a beautiful legacy to discover and we all have a unique perspective to share. And that discovery could very well change the game for someone else. So it's important to recognize the significant value of learning and sharing our history. Thank you, Sherry. What would you say to community members who are thinking about researching their material cultural heritage that's held in European museums? I would say having not come from an academic background or worked in this field myself, to just allow your curiosity to lead you. You can search collections online, attend museums, get involved in their community programs and contribute in a way that is relevant and meaningful to you. I've been so enriched by the broad range of people coming from different disciplines in the Community Action Research Project and learned there's a wealth of information out there. So just go for it. You never know where the journey might take you. We hope you enjoyed this special episode that powerfully rounds off the part of our podcast series that focused on the Swahili coast and the impact it has had on the rest of the world. In the next episodes, we move on to the theme of religion. Join us as we look at objects from the collections that offer protection to Keltemeshek people who travel across the Sahara. These objects bring to light the inextricable connections between trade, Islam and spirits in the African Islamic world. We're excited to be joined by community researcher Sabrina Al-Sayed. Thank you for listening to Afro History Scapes podcast with JC Niala, Tom Fearon and Sherry Davis. This is Afro History Scapes. Always something new, always has been, always. On the move. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>